This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Trying to do a podcast every day in honor of the Philadelphia Phillies going to the World Series. A situation that has really lit this town up, and we've been talking about it every day. And today... We have a special guest, uh, uh, a Philly legend, but also somebody connected to the Phillies playing the Houston Astros. The great number 10 joins us, Larry Boa. Hello, Larry. How are we feeling today? All right, Mike. Everything's good. I got a good vibe going right now. The city's on fire. The fans really came out at Citizens Bank Park. And uh, this should be one heck of a series. I really believe this is going to probably go the distance. And uh, I like our chances, Mike. I really do. The way things have been unfolding right now. I like the way we've been playing and pitching, and it's going to be a tough task, but I think we can handle this Houston Astro ball club. You know, Larry, I've been covering sports in this town for a really long time, and I've said it a couple times this week. This might be the most amazing Philadelphia story ever. Now, we can go back to, to your team in 80. You guys were expected to win. Uh, you, you, you know, you slogged along that year, but you were you, we knew you had a good team. You, you moved to go to the to the Sixers in, in in that era. You knew they had a good team. The '93 team wasn't supposed to really do anything, but they went wire to wire. Uh, the, the the 2008 uh, uh, team was obviously a, a great team. This is a team that has really kind of come from from nowhere to arrive at at this uh, World Series, and it, it's a pretty amazing story. I, I mean, you've been in town for a really long time, and you, I, I assume you feel the same way. I do, Mike. You know, if you if you go all the way back to April, uh, the expectations were high. Obviously, the payrolls way over the limit. I mean, John Middleton says, hey, I'm all in. Uh, we went out and spent money. We got off to a very slow start. And then, of course, uh, we made a managerial change. Dave Dombrowski brought in Rob Thompson. Uh, I think that sort of righted the ship. And I like Joe as a manager. I think he's a good baseball guy. It just, just seemed like something was missing, Mike. Uh, he sort of... Uh, that calmness about him uh, in Thompson, uh, you know, this guy's paid his dues. I was with him in New York when he was uh, one of the coaches for Joe Torrey. Uh, he's done everything in the minor leagues from uh, uh, minor league farm director to 
manager to coach, coach in the big leagues. And I've always used this saying, Mike, that uh, it takes one day to get a, a label in baseball. It takes 30 or 40 years to get rid of it. And I'm sure people thought that uh, Rob Thompson would be a great coach, a great bench coach, but a lot of people didn't believe he could manage and he's getting the opportunity. And I really think that he has really put a calmness to this ball club. He stuck to the lineup. I'm sure you, as well as I, as well as a lot of fans, they look at the top of the line and they go, oh, Schwab's 0 for 12, get him out of there. Or Hoskins is 0 for 18. Those two guys aren't doing anything. You know, Rob has kept this thing going forward the same way. Uh, if you look in the dugout, the expression on his face, you couldn't tell if we're winning by 10 or losing by 10. But he believes in these guys. They believe in him. And he's stuck to it with that lineup. I mean, he's keeping uh, those guys at the top, and it's paid off so far, Mike. Um, listen, I think most fans in this town have gotten fulfillment. And I, I don't think it would be devastating if if they lost in the World Series after – what this team has given fans that it, that's been totally unexpected. But, but let me ask you the general question. Why did the Phillies have a chance here? Because I think we have, we don't have, we don't just rely on two or three hitters in that lineup. I know Harp's been off the charts. Uh, JT had his moments, Schwab. You can go through that whole lineup, Mike. Stott's come up big, Bohm, Cassianos, Marsh, uh, Hoskins. I'd go through the whole thing. Uh, every night seems like it's a different hero. Not only are they getting hits, they're getting two out hits putting the ball in play when you're supposed to put the ball in play. I think our lineup's deeper than Houston, if you go as far as the hitters are concerned. But I also think that people are underrating our pitching a little bit. I, I know Houston has outstanding pitching top to bottom. We also have outstanding pitching. and Good pitching will stop good hitting. And the other thing, Mike, there's a couple hitters on that team, Tucker and Altuve. They're big, big-time offensive players. They have not swung the bats well. Maybe these four days off might help them. Maybe it won't. But when you got two guys in the lineup that are extremely cold like that, I can't think of anybody that's really ice cold in our lineup. They might be 0 for 8 or 0 for 9. They come up with a man on third and boom, base hit. I just think the depth of our lineup is going to come out on top here. And it's going to be a long series, there's no question. But I got us winning this thing in seven games. Wow. I, now, listen, you, you've been in the game forever. So I know that, yeah, that you've witnessed and you have a feel when you look at a team and a team has that quote-unquote look about it and and this team seems to have that look and I, and I know they're probably not going to be favored in this world series but you're right if you if you look down at all the guys that contributed here with Harper leading the parade you know there have been guys like Marsh hitting it, that three-run homer was monstrous against the brace the Castellanos made that that catch against the St. Louis and then he get a big hit later and he's he's not like a big bat in this lineup right now but he's had his moments Segura fighting off pitches flicking it to to right field Hoskins after getting booed uh, getting uh, they intentionally walk a guy and he makes him pay with a monster home run Schwarber with a leadoff home run the other day it, it just you're right it's it, see and Stott I know he's a favorite of yours battling this kid really battles and and when you think he got him down he's got the eight nine pitches uh, that that he's battling and he usually ends it with a hit so, yeah, tell me about the, a team that has that look. Well, you know what, Mike? What we do, when I say we, that, that team wears down pitchers, man. I mean, you might go out there with good stuff, and maybe after one inning you had 12, 13 pitches, and then you go into the fifth inning, they're already up to 75 or 80. Because we have that uh, uh, ability to foul off pitchers. You mentioned Stott. I've seen Stott go up there, if not once, eight or nine times with a count 0-2. I look up and it's 0-2. Next time I look up, it's 3-2. He's fouling eight or nine pitches off. 
this guy's got ice water in his veins. And everybody has sort of bought into that two-strike approach. You know, I'm not asking Schwarber or Haas or, or even Harp to have a two-strike approach, but those other guys have all bought in, and they're fighting pitches off. Segura got two huge hits and pitches that are down and away in the strike zone. And people say those are lucky hits. They're not lucky hits. They're two-strike approaches. He's covering the plate. He's putting the ball in play. Uh, he, I, He's the one guy, besides obviously Harp, who's had a tremendous – I wouldn't want to pitch to this guy with a man on third base in less than two outs. He has a knack of putting the ball in play. He finds holes out there. He's done very good defense. He made the one air on a double play ball. But other than that, he's been solid. But this team has a knack for fighting off pitches. And you know what? You want to get in the bullpen. I don't, I'm not saying we want to get into Houston's bullpen because they've been lights out. They don't have a left-handed reliever down there. And I know all their right-handed pitchers have the ability to get left-handed hitters out. But I'll take my chances when Schwab's up there or Harper's up there or Marsh or Stott, uh, those left-handed hitters of getting hits off right-handed pitchers. I, it's amazing that Dusty has not had a left-hander down in that bullpen all year. But you know what? You can't you can't argue with the stats. They've all done a good job getting left-handed hitters out. But I'm looking forward to those matchups when they got to get go to a right-hander and face some of our big boys from the left side of the plate. This this team, they're a solid team, and I think they pulled him. He hasn't always been the best teammate, and he's been shuffled around. I think this team has really sucked him into being a, a really good teammate, even in his older age. Oh, you've hit it right on the head. This guy's played hard every game, and, you know, I keep reading his quotes. I just want to get to a World Series. I've never been to a World First, he wanted to get to a playoff because he hadn't been in a playoff. But he has brought in. He's played hard. He's played very well. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, being the last year of his contract has something to do with that. But this guy's a big-time player. I mean, he can do everything. He can steal your base. He can hit you a home run. He can drive in a run. He plays his position unbelievable, turns double plays. Uh, he could be one of those guys, you know, Mike, you look back, and there's always one guy that gets the most valuable player in the World Series, and people don't even recognize him. Or they'll say, wow, how do he do that? Segura could be one of those wild-card guys that, that come up big in this World Series and, and end up being the most valuable player. Like Manny Trio back with you guys. Manny Trio had a great uh, Blake Doyle, I think, for the Yankees had an unbelievable series yeah. one year. Yeah, Brian, yeah, Brian Doyle. Yeah, Brian, uh, Brian. Uh, so you know, I keep hearing that, uh, and Dabrowski has been saying this all year that this team is built for October, and and I, you know, the notion there is they hit home runs and they had good starting pitching. That's why they're built for October. But like, how can you uh, describe this transformation that we've seen? This is a team. That, that got swept by the Cubs. They, they, they really laid an egg in that first game against the Nationals. They, they had to win the rest of that series. And, you know, and then Milwaukee made it a little easier for them. But, but there's nobody that, that could have expected this kind of a transformation. How does that kind of thing happen? Well, you made a great point. There's been so many peaks and valleys on this team throughout the course of the year, even going down to the last six or seven ball games. I, I just believe these guys believe in one another, Mike. I mean, you know, you talk about everybody pulling the rope the same way. That's an, a cliche sometimes. I mean, you have two or three guys, maybe four guys that, that aren't happy down there. I can honestly tell you the times I've been down there. Everybody's pulling that rope together. Uh, it doesn't matter bringing in Ranger in the ninth inning of a game. It doesn't matter. Every guy's hand to hands. Uh, they're aboard. Whatever Thompson wants to do, uh, Charlie and I were talking one night. We were talking about a move they made, and then we looked at each other. I said, "Hey, whatever Rob does right now, I'm riding with it because he is hot. Every move he makes has turned out to be unbelievable." 
And uh, I, I just feel there's a chemistry down there. And I know the analytic people, they don't believe in chemistry and that. I, I'm a firm believer in chemistry. There's some great chemistry going on down there. Guys are pulling for one another. Uh, and you know what? I think they all realize, even though there's only been one or two guys been in a World Series, you got to seize this moment right now, Mike. As you well know, you've covered sports. This team could be different next year. Guys move on, free agents, trades. There's so many things. Don't expect because you go to the World Series this year, you're automatically going to go the next year. And I really believe these guys believe this is an opportunity for them to say at the end of the year, hey, we were the best team in all of baseball in 2022. And I think they're grabbing onto that right now. The fact that they're underdogs almost in every series, I think they love that. I think that just motivates them even a little more. But you don't really need motivation now. You're in the World Series. But the fact that you're an underdog, sometimes that that gets your attention real quick. And I think that's another motivation factor that these guys are looking forward to. We're talking to Larry Boa uh, at the uh, Phillies and the Houston Astros World Series, which will begin Friday. A uh, couple games in Houston, they come back for three here. Let's talk about Harper for a second, Larry. Uh, you, you know, the, when the playoffs in general, there's such little margin for error. And and great players don't always perform because they start off, maybe they go over oh, four. They start squeezing it a little bit. They've got all this pressure to perform because they're expected to perform. And the more you're in your head, the worse he gets. This guy... Since he went over three, he went over three with a walk in the first game of the postseason against St. Louis. Since then, eighteen for forty, uh, and 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 I'm in a circumstance where he has to hit a home run, and it ain't that easy. Believe me, no. he has to hit a home run. He does it. Uh, th- this guy seems to be wired a little differently. You look around baseball. You saw Judge and Stanton. You saw those two guys from the Braves. Uh, you saw uh, Arenado and and uh, Goldschmidt. It, right. It's hard to perform when you need to perform, but this guy did, does it. No question. I mean, there's more pressure on you when you're getting paid that kind of money and you named all those guys that came up small. And I think that one thing that, that Harp has over all these guys, he's been getting this attention since he was 16 years old. He's been on sports illustrated. He's been on the cover of all these sports magazines at a young age when he was in high school. Uh, he's been the centerpiece for, Wherever he played, he played in Washington and now obviously Philadelphia. And to carry that burden is something that, you know, I admire this guy right now because, as you said, it's not that easy. He took a pitch the other night before the home run that was a changeup. I have no idea how he did not swing at that ball. That ball strike, strike, strike. Oh, no, it's a ball. And he laid off that. Uh, I don't want to say he knew it was coming, but he's so locked in right now. You better make a pitch on him. And if I'm Dusty and I know Dusty, Dusty's going to circle Harp's name. I don't care who's sitting in front of him. I don't care who's sitting behind him. He's going to say, do not let this man beat you. And that's where we are right now with Harp. He feels it. He thrives on that attention. He likes the attention. He wants to be the man. He reminds me a little bit of Jeter. Obviously, Jeter doesn't have Harp's power, but I was over there in New York. Jeter used to love those moments in the ninth inning, man on second. They're down a run. Bam, base hit. And I asked him one day, I said, how do you do that? He goes, you know what? He says, I'm able to, if I don't get a hit that day, I'm able to turn the page and I want that same situation the next day. And I think Harp's wired a lot like that. If he didn't come up with that hit or if he doesn't come up with a hit in the first game of the World Series, he wants to be the guy in the next two, three, four, five, six games. That's that's how he's he's wired right now. And he wants that responsibility. He's such a smart hitter because he knows you know, there's so many sluggers that will try to, to yank it. 
And, and he knows that his best hitting approach in that situation is to hit the ball to left center. And, and, and he's just geared that way to, to perform and not roll it over or try to overswing or do something like that. That that's what separates a guy who can perform in, in those moments as opposed to somebody who has as much talent who doesn't perform. Well, I'll tell you what, when you see Harp hitting balls to left center, I don't want to pitch to him. I don't care who the pitcher is. That means he's locked in. He's not trying to pull the ball. He can hit balls out anywhere, left center, center field, right field. And when he's locked in like this and he took that one change up, uh, that tells me all I want to know if I'm in that other dugout. I do not want this man beating me or I'm going to make him beat me with a left-handed pitcher. Uh, but he is, like I said, sometimes he gets a little pull happy, but right now he's not in that zone. He knows if I stay on the ball and hit the ball the other way, and especially going to Houston, that short porch and left field, he's liable to pepper those uh, Crawford boxes every at-bat. But uh, he's a guy, Mike, that uh, you better stay away from him if you're the Houston Astros because, especially with men on base, I'd even go to say if you got first and second one out, I'm not saying walk him, but I'm telling you don't give him anything to hit. I'll, I'll roll the dice and have the next hitter maybe ground into a double play, but he's that locked in right well, now. Well, yeah, Joe Madden would never pitch to him. Joe Madden will no. walk him the whole series. Oh, there's no question. And I, I look for Dusty maybe to do the same thing. When a guy's this hot, and he's a superstar like like Harp. Man, you got to just back off a little bit. And, and maybe you might get him frustrated a little. He keep walking him. He might start getting frustrated because right now he wants you to pitch to him. He don't care if it's right or left, and he's going to hit the ball hard. Six doubles, 11 RBIs, 10 runs scored. He's hitting 10 straight. He's been on base in 11 straight. Now, he came into the playoffs not hot. He hitless in game one, and in game two, uh, his first at-bat in the second inning, bam, and, and that really seemed to be the trigger for him. Um, you, you know, guys that are under pressure to turn it around, you come into a series not hot. How do you push a button like that? Well, you know what? I, I think Harp's finally re- – I think Harp's really matured a lot since he's come from Washington to Philadelphia. I really have. I watched him play in Washington, and there were some things that he did, and I'm scratching my head. He was still young, and I haven't seen that here in Philadelphia. I think he's matured unbelievable. And I think he realizes, looking at our lineup right now, that, you know, maybe in Washington, at him and Soto, if they didn't do it, nobody would do it. On this team, I think Harp's mentality right now is, you know what? If I want to walk me, I got three or four guys coming up behind me that can do the job or do some damage. I think he's accepted that, and he respects what we have, our lineup top to bottom. We have a deep lineup all the way down to the nine spot. I mean, Marsh can hit home runs also. But I think Harp has, has really, as he settled into the maturity that he is right now, saying, you know what, they don't want to pitch to me, fine. Let JT do it. Let Bohm do it. But he, he really believes in this team, and I think he'll take a walk. I really do. Whereas before, I think he'd be swinging, saying, you're not walking me. I'm going to do it myself. I really think he believes in this ball club right now. Uh, they saw each other the last series of the year. Does that have any impact at all? I think it does. I, I do think it does, even though it didn't mean anything to Houston. I understand that. But it meant something to us. And Noah pitched an unbelievable game that night. Uh, Verlander was lights out. But I look at Verlander, and I know, hey, we're talking about big money guys. He's come up short in these World Series. His ERA is not real good. It's five between five and six in the World Series. He's really close. And uh, I just think we're going to grind out some at-bats on this guy. I really do. Let's look backwards a little bit, and then, and then we'll come forward. Because to get here, 
there was the you know the, the Padres. I, I don't think had enough hitting uh, from top to bottom. Uh, there were a lot of outs in the, in the in that bottom of the lineup, but but they battled. And they looked like they were going to be able to send this game back to uh, San Diego. And and I know as a as a, a, a lifelong baseball guy, former manager, you're managing the game right right along with you. Right. Uh, and here comes Harper up, um, and uh, they they don't go. They got they've got Hater up. We're talking about Bob Melvin. He's got he's got Hater up, and he doesn't use him in that situation. And I'm I'm scratching my head, going, like, "Listen, I want the Phillies to win, and it's to their advantage." But I'm going, "Why on earth?" Would you acquire a bullet like that and not use them in that particular situation? What were your thoughts as you were watching that? When I saw Hart come up, I didn't even think twice. I said, haters coming in this game. And if you look at haters' numbers the last three or four weeks, they're off the charts. Uh, I know Bob Melman's a great manager. He's done a tremendous job everywhere he's gone. I'm sure he has his reasons why he didn't go to him. But I, the thing that I read was he doesn't want to use them in a two-out save. But in that situation – Say you don't good use them in the ninth inning. I'm going the middle of our lineup right there. I got to get those guys out, and Hayter's going to get get a good chance of getting them out. That stuff about he wasn't loose. I have to disagree with that because I was watching. He was up throwing before Harper even was thinking about coming on deck. So I don't know what was going through their mind. Again, I'm not going to second guess Melvin. He's a been a great manager, but if it was me, Harper's got to hit off a Hayter. I don't care what the situation was. And I'm not saying Harper can't hit Hater. He probably would have done the same thing as hot as he is. But I'm going to make him feel a little bit uncomfortable. The guy throwing 98, 99 miles an hour from the left side of the, on the mound. So, but you know, this guy, I guess maybe they're saving him for spring training next year because <laughs> it, you know, it makes absolutely like even if you try to give them the benefit of the doubt, it makes absolutely no sense not to bring him in, in that situation because you go, okay, I don't want to use him for a five out save. Well, the alternative is you're going home. <laughs> you know, you're, you got to survive that game. It doesn't matter if you're going to use him for a five-out save. You know what, Mike? Even if even if he had to use him for – just say it was two six-out save and he wouldn't be available the next day, who cares? It might be one of those games where you, maybe your team scores eight runs, you don't need him. you got to win that game. You This, this your backs are to the wall right there. Your team just took the lead on two wild pitches. you got to think the momentum's going your way, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's gone again. Uh Again, I, I'm not second-guessing Bob Melvin. He's done a great job. But, I mean, I, it goes back to when Buck Showalter was with Baltimore and they left their big guy in the bullpen down there. I mean, w- w- when you have a chance to, to fire the big bullet, you got to fire it. Yeah, okay, so let's go to the ninth. Now, now they got two runners on. They've got one out. They've got Grisham, who hasn't had a, a hit. He hasn't come close to getting a hit in the, in the damn series. And uh, first pitch, he bunts. Now, I, I don't know if he did that on his own. It would seem to me like first pitch, he got assigned to bunt to give them the second out to move guys to second and third. And I'm saying, well, Willie Mays must be on deck. It was Austin Nola on deck. How, how in the world do you do that? Uh, you know what? You know, Bob Melvin really sticks up for his players. I, I've noticed that when I was even when I was in the dugout. I got to think maybe this guy did it on his own because it didn't look like he was drag bunting. He literally looked, he squared around really early. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm thinking maybe he did tell him to sacrifice, but you got Ranger Suarez who's one of the best feeling pitchers in baseball. And I know it was wet there, but, and then you have Nola's brother who's got one hit and he got it off his brother. Who, Like you said, if it was maybe uh, Machado coming up or, or, uh, you know, the first baseman coming up, anybody, 
But I'm I'm scratching my head there and I'm going, because it didn't look, if he told him to bump for a base hit, that didn't look like he went about it the right way to bump for a base hit. He literally squared around pretty early. You got the tying run on second base. It even doesn't make sense to bump for a base hit. Oh, I know. It might. Believe me. Uh, back in the day, whoever was managing, they'd have been scrutinized forever. But because of <laughs> analytics now, and, and I think writers today are a little bit, I'm not going to say soft, but they, they don't like to rip anybody. I hardly read anything. I read a couple things about Hater, but other than that, I haven't seen too much. But you'd have, you'd have been reading that all winter if that happened when somebody else was managing, especially in our city. Oh, that's what I was just going to bring up because I went to the San Diego Padres fans' Twitter account, and, and I'm reading all these tweets about how uh, we uh, we shouldn't criticize Bob Melvin. He was great. He brought that team to this uh, situation, and let's go greet the Padres at the airport. And I'm thinking, had a manager made that kind of mistake in Philly, well, it would be incredible. <laughs> You'd be living with that the rest of your life here. You, if that happened in a, in a playoff game as the magnitude of this playoff game was, you might have to leave town during the winter because you'd be worried <laughs> about that all winter. But again, you know, each manager has a different philosophy. I'm glad it turned out the way we did. I mean, if Nola gets a base hit there, who knows what happened. But I'm not button and nothing against Nola. He's the ninth hitter in the lineup. If my big boys were coming up, I might say I agree with it, but with one out, I, I don't like that play at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, and listen, it worked out in Philly's favor, but that's yeah, yeah. managerial malpractice. It really is in the eighth and ninth innings. Uh, all right, so so let's move ahead because I, I want you. I want to talk about Rob Thompson with you. And uh, listen, you managed, and your style was a lot different. I mean, you you were uh, you were a guy who was very emotional as a manager, and you wanted to charge guys up with your particular style. It almost seems like today's manager. Like Charlie Manuel was that type of guy where he he tried to make like he wasn't a big strategist, but he was a guy who, who thought that you you make all your players comfortable and, and make them believe in themselves without getting in their ass, and that's the best way to manage because they then they go out lose. It seems like Thompson is kind of the same way. Yes, what what's yes. the difference between a manager today uh, with these this type of mentality of players and back when you were managing? I think, Mike, the biggest thing is if you have a real good ball club, which I think we do, and I think uh, if you look at Charlie's team, that, that was a good team. When you have a good team from top to bottom, there's really not a lot of motivation and you let these guys play. You know, when you have a team where there's maybe two guys or three guys in the lineup that are really good and the other five or six, you need to you need to motivate them and things like that. I, I think that's a big difference. When you have a good, solid lineup, one through nine, well, back when Charlie Manager was one through eight because a pitcher had to hit, but now it's one through nine. You let those guys play, and a lot of them are veterans. They've been around. And I think the one thing that, that really stands out in my mind is when they got rid of D.D. and they said, Stott, you're the shortstop, and he, he went out there, and he didn't – you know, if he went 0 for 4, he knew he was going to be in there the next day. That, ha- that means a lot to a young player. Uh, and I think he proved to everybody – you know, we were all – I said it a couple times. Why Schwarber leading off? He's 0 for whatever. And, and Haas was the same way. The top two guys in your lineup, what were they, two for 32 or something? And and one thing Tom does, he's very patient. He believes in his lineup. And like I said, if you're winning by 10 or losing by 10, you couldn't tell by looking at him. But I think that that all, can, to me, comes from when he's with the Yankees. Joe Torre was very much like that. And Tom's really liked Joe Torre a lot. I was there with Joe Torre. Joe Torre's personality, I think, is rubbed off on Tom's. And he really believes that every guy in that lineup, 
They like to know where they're hitting every day, whether I go 0 for 4 or 4 for 4. Every pitcher down there has an idea when they're coming in a ball game. If it's the seventh inning on, they know, hey, I better be ready. So he's sort of right of the ship that way where these guys understand, hey, if I strike out four times a night, I'm going to be in the same slot tomorrow night. And that means a lot to a team, especially guys that have been in the big leagues for a while. And we have a bunch of guys on this team that have played in the big leagues with the exception maybe of, of Bohm and Stott. These guys have played in the big leagues a while, and they like that consistency in the lineup. Well, yeah, and the reaction, uh, it's funny because the reaction of the fans, and I'm, I'm going to get to a point about Hoskins here. Hoskins was getting buried by people, <laughs> fans in this city. I, I, he, he confuses me, and, and you as an infield instructor and, and a great infielder, a great hand-eye coordination to catch a baseball. you have any theories on why it's difficult for him to catch a ball that's right at him? Mike, it's not lack of work. I've seen this guy. He works hard. He, and Bobby Dickerson, who's the infield guy, he's outstanding. Uh, you know, sometimes I think this thing becomes mental. Uh, it's just like hitting. You're 0, you're 0 for 12, and all of a sudden you get a little blue pit. Now you hey, I got it. I think it's the same way feeling. You start making errors, and you say, oh, God. And I'm watching him lately. I mean, he's literally looking that ball into the glove right now. He missed the ball the other night. I mean, he'll be the first to tell you I could have caught that ball one-handed with without a glove. It was a one-hopper right at him. And, you know, I, I just think sometimes feeling is like hitting. You get into these funks. Uh, I don't think Haas is ever going to be a gold-glove guy, but I don't think he's going to be one of those guys. I know people in Philly saying, please don't hit the ball to Hoskins. I've seen him make plays. I know, like I said, he's not a gold-glover, but I, I really believe it's a mental thing now with him. And I'll tell you what, he's mentally a tough dude, Mike. I mean, you, you, you hear all those boos. Don't tell me you don't hear them. Everybody hears them. And you get up and you hit a big home run, and then you come up uh, the last game and hit. A, we're down 4 nothing. He puts us right back on the board with a two-run homer. Uh, he, can, he can separate the two. I mean, he can deal with the boos. In fact, I've heard his interview say, hey, I boo too. I got to make that. Very mature, and he takes responsibility, and he's not afraid to blame. He doesn't blame anybody else if he makes a mistake. And I think that's part of uh, being able to play here in Philadelphia. Yeah, he's got a little vindictive streak. When you got booed, I mean, that's what that bat th- slam was about. Like, you boo me, yeah, there you go. Stick it up your, your keister. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that, that was part of it. But my point about, the, like, people were saying, play Sosa at third and move Bohm to first. And they don't realize that a guy hits 30 home runs uh, is a valuable – you can't take a guy like that out of the lineup because in the postseason you never know when it's going to happen. And, he, and he's come through it in a big way. He's come up big a lot, and there's no way I would do that. And I like Sosa as, as an infielder. I think that was a great pickup by Dave. He made a bunch of great pickups that really didn't make headlines, but uh, they were key members of our team. But I'm keeping this lineup exactly the way it is right now. And if you see in the ninth inning or eighth inning, he'll take Bohm out and put Sosa in at third base. And sometimes he's been taking Schwab out. Schwab's had a, a bad ankle, I think. Not real bad, but try to get him out of there. So he's, he's pulling the right strings right now, but I'd leave that lineup just the way it is. Let these guys go out and play. And they're playing relaxed. They're playing with a lot of confidence right now. And I don't think they're afraid of going into Houston and taking on the uh, the Astros right now. I really think this matchup is going to be good for us, and I'm looking forward to it. Joe Girardi has proven that he was a good manager, but he was a lot more rigid. And, uh, you know, you said this is a good team, a good personnel. They do have good personnel, but they didn't show good personnel when when Joe had them. And and maybe the difference in the rigidity that, that Joe did and what Thompson does is, is what they needed. Did, did you notice anything that way? 
Yeah, I mean, they're a lot looser. There's no question about that. But on the other hand, Mike, if you go look, you know, I happen to be looking at our schedule because, you know, people make a big deal about our schedule. It was pretty easy at the end before we got to the playoffs. I looked at the beginning of the year. We had a tough schedule. And I'm not saying that had anything to do with a bad start. Anytime you put together a team in spring training, new guys are coming in, Cassianos and Schwarber. It doesn't matter the six weeks of spring training. It takes a while for that continuity to fill in there. And I think it took a while for this team to start getting used to everybody. And I think by the time they let go of Joe and you look at the schedule that was coming up, it was a perfect storm. And things started to go the right way for us. We started getting breaks. We started getting good pitching, key hitting. Uh, and again, uh, Dave made a move that turned out to be a great move when he when he brought in Tomps. But I think there was a combination of things. You know, maybe Joe was a little more rigid than, than Thompson. But uh, and, and Thompson's a pretty laid back guy, but he's very intense. I will say that he's an intense guy. He just doesn't show it. I've been around him a long time and uh, he knows the players look over at him. They say, hey, the skipper's really calm right here. So I'm just I'm, I'm going to chill back here and get a good pitch and see what I can do. So I think it was a combination of thing, Mike. Uh, we're talking to Larry Bell. We'll just uh, keep you for just a little longer, Larry. We're going to adjust a couple things. Let's just get into now a little bit of the meat, uh, the matchups here, because you're right uh, about Houston's lineup. They, listen, they're undefeated. They've been in Worlds. They got a pedigree. They've been in World Series four the last six years. Uh, but you know, you look at their lineup, and uh, Altuve is really slumped at the top of the order, and he's so key for them. And fortunately for them, Jeremy Pena ha- has picked it up. But Jordan Alvarez is not. Uh, it is, it has not been lights out. He's had a couple moments. Uh, Bregman's been obviously consistent. Kyle Tucker's hitting a buck fifty-four. Y- Yuli Gurriel has come from nowhere. But then the bottom, Trey Mancini hasn't hit yet. Chaz McCormick, the two thirty-one, and uh, Maldonado is, is pretty solid. There are some holes in that lineup. Yep, I agree. I agree. Uh, I wouldn't sleep on Alvarez though. That guy's scary. You know, if you look at that, Mike, they could have lost all three of those games in Seattle. You go back and look at all three of those games, they could have lost all three of those, and they won them. And that's a mark of a good team, obviously. But if you take a look at St. Louis, the team we beat, take a look at uh, the Padres, the team we beat, I'd even go to Atlanta. The bottom part of those orders have not been really good. If you take a look at the bottom part of our order, we get we get production out of the bottom part. We got top to bottom. We got guys that can do damage down. Seven, eight, nine can hurt you. And, you, and I'm not saying 789 in Houston or or San Diego can't hurt you, but you can take a deep breath there and say, I got through the top of that. Now I can relax a little bit, but I don't think you can relax with this ball club. Uh, it, it, it The length of this ball club is stretched out all the way to nine. And I think that's really important. And pitchers know that they can't take a deep breath on this lineup because somebody's going to hurt you. They're starting pitching. Goes Verlander, Framber Valdez. They'll they'll use McCullers. They maybe they go Christian Vasquez. But they have four starters. It's a little deeper than what the Phillies have. But their bullpen has been lights out. It's the best in baseball. Uh, Brian Abreu and uh, Rafael Montero and Presley is the closer. And even Hector Neris contributes. And they and they got three guys. They got a guy named Stanek or or, or Kitty and and Luis Garcia. Uh, that's pretty yeah. good. So um, uh, the longer the series goes, I think it, it favors Houston because their depth of pitching. You agree with that? Well, if I if I had to say, yeah, if, if there's an edge, I don't think they're better than us, but I do think depth-wise they have more depth. I, there's no question about that. You mentioned their kitty, or I don't even know how to pronounce his name, and Garcia. Garcia pitched five innings in that game in Seattle when that game went 18 innings. He's got unbelievable stuff. They do have some starters there 
that don't just go five innings. They take you deep into the ball game. They got Naros pitching in the sixth and seventh, which I think mm-hmm. is that's where Hector should pitch. And then once it gets to the eighth or ninth, it's lights out. Well, I think we have a lights out bullpen, but it, maybe it doesn't go as deep as Houston's. So our starters are going to, for us to be successful here, they got to continue doing what they're doing, especially Nolan and Wheeler. They got to go to the seventh inning, which I think they're very capable of doing. And uh, that's why I think this thing is so even right now. But as you said, there's two big hitters in that lineup that have not done anything, Tucker and Altuve. And hopefully that can continue for another seven games or how long this series goes. Because if those two guys get hot, that lengthens that, lengthens that lineup uh, out a lot because they're two tough outs. All right, let me go. Let me. Go. I got to take you back because obviously you were involved in, in one of the great Philly moments ever. And uh, nobody will. If, if you watched the Phillies back in 1980, you'd never forget this series. It's the, maybe the greatest uh, NLCS ever. Uh, for the games go extra innings, but it, now here you guys are after that whole that season was just <laughs> like so up and down with controversy and you guys fight with the manager and, and people saying why they're going to live up to their expectations. So here you are now in a game five with a chance to get eliminated again. It's the eighth inning. Uh, the Astros are up by three runs and Nolan Ryan is on the mound and, and Philly fans watching that game are going, Oh my God. Can, can it get any worse than this? Nolan Ryan is throwing bullets here. They're down by three, and you're the first guy up. Now, I, I, I should recommend that people watch this. There's a documentary that's on Netflix right now. It's called Facing Nolan. And I had almost forgotten that you're the first guy up in that eighth inning. But in, in this documentary, it, it goes over that series and the sequence that happened. Now, you're up, took a strike, and then right. you, you hit a line drive to, to, le- to left center field. Now, so right. I want to get in your head there. The, the, okay. the pressure can't be – you have to get on base. And, right. and it's it's 5-2, to two and it's Nolan Ryan. Take me back to that moment in your head. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I'm getting my, my, my batting gloves on, and Pete comes up to me and he says, if you get on, we're going to win this game. You know, Pete's always positive. Pete's always positive. And I'm saying to myself – it's not three. I was saying it's not three to two. It's five to two. So, you know, I'm saying, okay, I'm getting on. I'm getting on. So I get a base hit to left. Now, everyone wants to know why Nolan Ryan was still in that game after this happened. I'm going to tell you why. I hit the I hit the second pitch, I think. Booty hit the first pitch. It was a comebacker. It was to his, to his right a little. It went off Nolan's glove. A double play, for sure. It trickled behind it in the mound. So we have first – and Booty hit the first pitch. Greg Gross comes up and bunts a perfect bunt on the first pitch. So you're talking four pitches, bases loaded, no outs. And, you know, it didn't have time to warm anybody up. But if you look at Nolan Ryan's wins and losses going into this eighth inning, it's off the charts. I mean, this guy just didn't, didn't lose games. And then Pete gets that big walk, and I'm scoring from third, and he's screaming at Nolan, you ain't got enough. And I'm saying to myself, Pete, don't wake this guy up, man. I mean, he's screaming at him. You ain't got enough. You ain't got enough. And Trio comes up with a big hit. But but that was a, a case right there where, you, you know, you said the fans probably went, oh, not again, because the expectations were us for were us to win. Huge. We had Willie Carpenter came in and said in spring training, if you guys don't go to the World Series this year, I got to tear this team up. I love every one of you, but we come up short. And we knew that all year, even though during the course of the year we had that that roller coaster ride, and Dallas would take out Bull and play Lonnie Smith and take out the right fielder uh, uh, Bake and put in Moreland. He 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 wasn't afraid. If you went zero for four, you were out of there. 
and, and of course we had those guys grumbling and, uh, but you know, we overcame all that. And I still say to this day without Dallas and without Pete, we probably don't come up big like we did. Uh, at the time, guys were mad because they were being taken oh, out. Oh man, of the it was it was like it was the team of turmoil. You guys were <laughs> at each other's throat, yeah. at the manager's yeah, yeah. throat. Gary Maddox wanted to fight him. Uh, yeah. Lot Bulls Bills man because Lonnie Smith is going and playing for him. You you're squawking with Dallas. It was insane. Oh, yeah. It was it was it was insane. And, and you know, after it was all said and done, you know, when you have the celebration and everything, I want that's what I want more than anything, Mike. I want these guys to feel what it's like to be the best team in baseball. But you know what? When you get this far, I don't care if you were the underdog, if you were the favorite, and you come up short, there's going to be disappointment there. I don't care what anybody says. You can say we had a great year, uh, but we came up short. People only remember one thing. Who gets the ring? And that's what's going to happen here. I, I love the way we're playing, and I, I take my hat off to what Thompson's done and what Dave Dombrowski's done. But you can ask every guy in that room right now, if you guys happen to lose this, Will you be satisfied with that year? I guarantee every one of them is saying no, no, no way. You know, you're absolutely right. I think the fans would be kind of satisfied, but you're right. Once you get here, you want to win it. So just to, just to go back for the record, when you're facing Noel in that situation, because when he got his curveball over, you could, it was lights out. I mean, it was ridiculous. But you, I got to think that you're thinking he's going to throw you fastballs there. I did. And, you know, and, and I, when you know, Pete said, make him throw you a strike, and I'm going – I was going to make him throw me a strike anyway. We're down three runs. And I'm saying, I'm going to spot this guy a strike. Are you kidding me? And he did. He threw me a fastball. It was a good fastball to hit. And the next one was a little bit away, and I hit it to left field. But if he throws a hook there, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking he's thinking hard. that he's not going to throw a hook to you. Like, he'll, right. he, he, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he thinks, he, uh, you know what? Let him beat me with a single. I'm not going to hit the ball out of the ballpark. So he's right. probably saying, here, here, hit it. And uh, and I did, and then because he had the bottom part of that lineup coming up. I mean, it was seven, eight, nine. Let's face it. And yeah. He's looking over there, and he's going, "Man, I ain't gonna walk anybody here. I got these three guys coming up, and I got the top of the order waiting over there. I'm going at these guys, and that's exactly what happened." Yeah, and the way that anything trans uh, transpired was unbelievable. Trio with the big hit, and it, it ends yeah. with the fly ball to Gary Maddox, who who had been in turmoil all year. He gets the last out. You had to bring Ruthven in. To get the yeah. you know the, the, the final out of the game, just a, an unbelievable uh, game to be a part of, Larry. So, uh, so that, I know Darren, our producer, has a question for you, and then I want to end it with uh, a little story that uh, uh, that that I don't think Darren knows that this happened a couple of years ago uh, with, when I asked Larry to do me a favor. But Darren, what is your question to, to Larry? Uh, so my background was with with the NFL, and I, one of the things that I used to ask coaches a lot because I was always fascinated by the coach to player. And when I say coach to player, I mean coach to the top player, the engine, right? That relationship, right? right? Every team has it, whether it's baseball, it's football, it's basketball. It doesn't matter. There's that coach engine relationship, right? And I've interviewed Bill Walsh, you know, in his time before, you know, uh, Holmgren, Parcells, Ditka, NFL Hall of Fame head coaches. So I'm fascinated by this. So – how does the dynamic change between a coach and a player when you reach a level like the World Series? Is it more of, hey, I'm going to top you. Listen, I want to talk, you know, more nuances, this, 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 and this. Or is it more hands off to say, hey, uh, you know, when it comes to right. baseball, I know you can only speak on baseball. So 
that's my question to you. How is that relationship changed? It's probably less coaching and go out and do your thing. You don't want to change anything. I mean, when you're a coach and somebody does something in August that you shouldn't do, you're going to, you're going to say something to them. Hey, you can't do that. You are in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think these guys are so locked in right now that they're not going to make a lot of mental mistakes. You let them go. They've come this far and they want you to, they want to see you that you're, you're relaxed now, let them go. Whereas, like I said, in July or August, as a coach, that's your job. You got to correct that. I think when it comes to these last seven games, you let these guys go because they've done a tremendous job. And I'm not saying if a guy misses a cutoff, man, you don't say anything or anything like that. But for the most part, They've been fundamentally, you know, errors are going to happen in baseball. But I, I watch where they're at on cutoffs and relays. I watch where they're at when certain hitters are in certain counts, if they move. They do all that stuff right now because there's so much right now that you're mentally locked into. They're not going to make a lot of mental mistakes. So you basically, hey, guys, we got this fight. The the devotion that this team seems to have for Topper and that just, hey, you are, you know, the, we, we got it. What you have yeah. to say, well, you know, we'll take it in. So that's why I know, you know, I know. not every team has that love, that that understanding, that you know, will. God You're exactly will right, and and, and I, you know, during this podcast, I, I like to say I take my hat off to our coaching staff. They've done a tremendous job. I mean, we don't have a lot of raw speed on our team, but take a look at our stolen bases and caught stealing. Hawko, our first base coach, does all that homework and, and looks at guys that are one four one five going to home and they'll go up and say you can steal this guy you see Schwarber running now you see Cassianos running and you take a look at our percentages right now they've been off the charts as far as success as far as stealing bases the other thing that we do and that I've noticed we've done we've sort of gone away from um, what the analytics tell you not to do we've I've seen us hit and run I've seen us lay down a bunt I've seen us put the ball in play We've gone back to some old school baseball that's produced some runs. And if you take a look at teams in the World Series the last three or four years, you're going to see teams that do those little things. They might not do them during 162 games, but every run is so precious right now. Whatever you have to do to get that run in, we're starting to do that. And we've started since the first game in St. Louis, and it's paid off for us. And I think guys have bought into that, saying, I don't need a two-run home run. All I got to do is get this ground ball to second, the infield's back, I got a guy on third. That's a run for us. I think they've all bought into that. And that was, that's what makes this team very special because they're not just trying to hit home runs right now. All right. Here's the story that I'm going to, uh, I need to end with. Uh, you know, one, one of my uh, uh, bucket lists was because uh, we used to go to spring training every year for the radio station. And uh, one of my bucket list things was Larry Bow is uh, like a master uh, uh, ground ball hitter. Uh, I've never seen anybody better than you. I mean, you're, you're, you're a maestro with the fungo. So uh, I go, okay, now I've been playing baseball a while. I played in college, but I could never get rid of it. I played in all these age group leagues, over 30, over 40. And uh, I had back surgery from playing in a league. So I had been rec- I recovered from back surgery. And one thing I wanted to, to do was to take some ground balls from Larry Ball at spring training. So I'm, I'm bugging him, bugging him, bugging him to hit me some ground ball. Finally, we make it happen on the specially designed in, little infield they have at the spring training uh, at the stadium uh, complex. And um, so he's got the fun. Now, I'm thinking he's going to make me feel good by hitting me some hoppers, you know, that are that are easy. He comes out of the gate hitting these screaming major league line drive ground balls, 
and he just wore my ass out. You think you're getting a Sunday yeah, hop. Yeah, I could get a Sunday hop. He's everything. hitting these screamers that are two <laughs> inches off the ground. And meanwhile, there are people coming into the stadium because I think it was a game that day. And they're and they're looking at it from overhead. And they're heckling me as he's hitting these screaming line drive ground ball. I, let me tell you something. My tongue was dragging. He, he wore me out. And then he had, like, after the session was done, I think it was Tom McCarthy walking by. He goes, how did he make out? And Larry goes, I wore his ass out. <laughs> that was pre-planned. I mean, first of all, they, everyone told me, don't be hitting him two hoppers. He says he can play infield. So I, I, you're right. I was hitting balls as hard as I could. And I will say this. You hung in there unbelievable because I was waiting for you to say, uncle, not only did you catch him at short, you moved over to second and took some. You want to yeah. take some at second. So this this was going on for about now. If you only have one guy uh, catching grounders and you do that for twenty minutes, your tongue hangs out. He was the only guy out there. He was going back and forth. I was moving him around, but I thought for sure. I'll tell you now, Mike. I thought you did a great job. But those fans were up there. They were going, hit him harder, hit him harder. <laughs> hold on, hold on, Larry. This is Darren, his producer. I have to confirm this. I need a full confirmation that you were not Sunday hopping his ass. Believe me, he didn't hit one Sunday hop. And here's the reason. Here's the reason I moved over to second base because I was thrown from shortstop. My arm was like a noodle. So I figured, let me move over to second base. At least I get that throw and he'll, I don't, you know, be a little more impressive with the throw. But uh, yeah, you kicked my butt that day. No, it, was, uh, it was it was a good you did a, you did a good job, Mike. Really, I really yeah, I that was uh, that was a lot of fun for me, and I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, All right, so last thing is, I believe that Rob Thompson announced today that he's going to start Nola in Game One, and we were looking at this earlier in the week, and I thought that that was actually a good idea. You know, we were losing like five miles an hour off his fastball from one inning to the next tells me that they, that he, you know, he needs as much rest as he can. So I think it's actually a good move. Noel's on, on uh, his full rest and it gives Wheeler an extra day. Do you like the move Larry? Yeah, I do. And not only that, Mike, if you remember the game, he took a ball off his leg, but uh, it was a hard hit ground ball that went right back to JT. And I think that is more, uh, that that means more right now than than being tired or losing five miles an hour. He couldn't push off, and I think the extra day is definitely going to help him. Uh, we have a couple days to anticipate before we get this series going, but we're going to be occupied for the next couple weeks. And uh, the day that the Phillies take over the Eagles is is a proud day for baseball in this town. Yeah, it is. <laughs> nobody's right. talking about the six and zero Eagles right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it'll continue for another week. Okay. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissonelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.